Well, might as well go home after that, right? <laughs> Day's done. I don't know if I can top that. Thank you, Martha, and uh, all of those involved in that. Really excited. Really excited about that. Uh, just been a part of that uh, via my wife, and uh, really excited about what's happening there, and uh, kind of the resurgence of the need for our women to connect to one another and connect to the gospel, and uh, just super, super excited. So really encourage you ladies to be a part of that. Well, welcome to Grace Bible Church. This morning, we're going to get into our, uh, our uh, sermon series. Our sermon series that we started last week is called Counterfeit Gospels, Counterfeit Gospels. Part two this morning, uh, I've entitled The Wreckage of Counterfeits. The Wreckage of Counterfeits. So by way of quick review, last week uh, in part one, we saw the reality of counterfeits. Uh, basically, we saw three things. Number one, uh, we saw that there is uh, the reality of counterfeits that existed both in the New Testament times and that exist today. That is, there are very real, very fake, uh, very counterfeit gospels that exist in America and in uh, the greater evangelical church today. Uh, secondly, not only did we see that there is a reality of false gospels, but we have uh, seen that the nature of false gospels, uh, four things. We see that uh, false gospels, counterfeit gospels, uh, are a desertion of God. Number two, we have found out that they deny grace. That is, they're mostly about works. Number three, that they defy good news and offer counterfeit good news. Number four, they distort the gospel of Christ. And then thirdly, we saw something about uh, the preachers of counterfeits. That is, that anybody can be a preacher of a counterfeit gospel. And so this morning in part two, we're going to move from the reality of counterfeits and ask the question, what, what are the effects of counterfeit gospels in the churches today? That is, what is the wreckage that counterfeits wreak uh, on the true gospel and the American church. So that's where we're going this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and get them out now. If you didn't bring your Bible to church, there are several pew Bibles in front of you. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, in my pew Bible, that is page three, uh, 933. And uh, in addition to that, as you guys are flipping to uh, that, the text should be up on the screen. Uh, also, I hope that you got our message this morning via email. Uh, we uh, do announcements and mostly by email. So if you're not a part of the email list, there is a sign-up sheet out there and we'll get you on first thing tomorrow morning on the email list. Hopefully you got the email that it is text message Sunday. So I hope you brought uh, uh, your text message machine, uh, otherwise known as a cell phone. Uh, if you happen to not do that, Gary should have some sheets in the back and when it's time, he'll pass those out so that you can uh, interact uh, in a written way. So uh, Counterfeit Gospels Part 2, The Wreckage of Counterfeits. Let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, thanks for a good morning. Thank you for uh, a wonderful time of worshiping your son, who indeed lived for us, uh, who indeed died for us and for our sins, who indeed was resurrected from the dead, and he overcome the power of Satan, he overcome, uh, overcame the power of hell, he overcame the power of sin and its grip on our lives, and he indeed overcame uh, even death itself, so that one day we can be overcomers as he is, and even this day we 
can overcome the power of sin through the good news of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit who is given to us as a, as a deposit of that which is to come to enable us, to enlighten us, to empower us. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that you give to us through the gospel of Christ. Uh, Jesus, guard my words. Help us to speak rightly. Help me to speak rightly about the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we look at the wreckage that counterfeit gospels wreak on our land, I pray that there would be clarity. I pray that there would be greater confidence in the good news of Jesus Christ to change our lives from the inside out. We pray it in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin with a little scenario. Uh, imagine with me, if you will, this scenario. Uh, let's say we wake up tomorrow morning, and it's a typical Monday morning. We roll out of bed. We hit the snooze maybe once or twice. And I don't know if you're in the habit of this, but let's say you happen to be in the habit of turning on the TV. You're going to watch the morning news. And so you flip on the tube, and lo and behold, both CNN and Fox News or whatever news outlet that you may watch uh, that particular morning, there's breaking news, and it's all over the place. And that news is that there has been a new terrorist attack on the United States. There has been a horrific terrorist attack attack on the United States. All sorts of buzz is going about, and as you read the headlines, you think, oh great, what has happened? You think, oh great, what is the wreckage that has occurred? And so you start to look for things like death tolls. You, You start to look at the fine print, and you want to know exactly what happened. And as you read, you're astonished, because what you have, what you come to find out is that it didn't involve planes, It didn't involve bombs. This terrorist uh, attack didn't involve uh, guns or uh, military pressure. It didn't even involve soldiers of the humankind. But as you continue to read, you find out that the terrorist attack is a terrorist attack on our money on our financial status. And what you find out is that Islamic terrorists have infiltrated the Treasury Department. They've infiltrated the Treasury Department, and what they've done is they've flooded our economy over the past year with millions of upon millions of counterfeit bills, and they've flooded our banks, they've flooded our uh, pocketbooks, they've flooded our businesses, and it's in vain to try to find out what is real. And so there is scavenging going on. Uh, people are trying to figure out the real from the fake. Experts, counterfeit experts, are going from business to business to bank to bank. And our economy uh, is taking a downfall. You look at the stock market and it's plummeting. The value of the dollar is going down. Imagine this scenario with me. Imagine if that were true. What would be the, the result of that kind of terrorist attack? What would be the wreckage of counterfeit bills on our economy? What would practically happen? Let me suggest a couple things. First of all, there would be a lack of clarity in the currency. There would be a lack of clarity in the currency. And what I mean by that is, as you uh, uh, intend to pull money out of your bank, and as you look in your billfold, and you examine the $1 bills, or the $5 bills, or however big a bills you carry, there's a lack of clarity on that currency. You don't know what is real from what is not. You don't know if what you have in your hand is a real $20 or if it's a counterfeit $20. And so number one, there would be an extreme lack of clarity in the currency today. Number two, not only that, but there would be a lack of confidence. There would be a lack of confidence in that currency because you look and you don't know if the bill is real. You don't know if it continues to carry its inherent value because we all know that a 
$1 bill or a dollar bill is just a piece of paper, but it's not just a piece of paper, but what is it? It actually carries value. There's purchasing power in our money, is there not? Inherent in that real currency, we know that it's not worth just a piece of paper, but it's worth whatever it says it is, and there's a purchasing power, and we have confidence that when we take out our $20 bill and we go to pay for our dinner, that it's going to work, that it will have an inherent power to purchase what it is that we want. But because of the flooding of the counterfeits into our economy, not only is there a lack of clarity in the currency, there's a lack of confidence. We don't know if it has the purchasing power that it should have. And so, my friends, what I would suggest to you is that the, this kind of terrorist scenario has happened, but not in real currency, but in the currency of Christianity. My suggestion to you is that there have been terrorist attacks, and our great enemy, Satan, has flooded the American Christian market, if you will, the Christian economy, with what is essentially counterfeit gospels, with counterfeit gospels. And as a result, the wreckage remains the same. Number one, there's a lack not of uh, currency clarity, but there is a lack, a lack of gospel clarity. There's a lack of gospel clarity. Is the gospel that we hold in our hands the real thing? There have been flooded, we've been flooded with counterfeits. Is this the real thing? Or is it a counterfeit? Number one, there's a lack of gospel clarity. Number two, there's a lack of gospel confidence. And what I mean by that is, does the gospel that we believe and think to be real and biblical, does it really have the power to change a life? Does it really have the purchasing power that we believe that it does? And so, my friends, what has happened is there has been a wreckage in the American church culture today, and there have been two results of counterfeits. Number one, there's a lack of gospel clarity. We don't know exactly what the real gospel is, or because of the counterfeits, we are very confused. We are very confused over what the real gospel is. And number two, there's a lack of gospel confidence because we don't know. Maybe we're starting to doubt what the real gospel is. We then have a lack of confidence in the real gospel. Is it sufficient Is it enough to bring salvation to somebody? Is it enough to grow a church? Is it enough to bring someone from life to death, from hell to heaven? Is it enough? And so we have lost our gospel confidence. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at two things, two points, if you will. So if you're taking notes, this is a simple outline. Point number one and point number two. And what we're going to see is a couple, uh, thing, a couple ideas, a couple wreckages, if you will, from counterfeit gospels. And the first wreckage, as I've said before, point number one, there is a lack of gospel clarity. The first result of this flood of counterfeit gospels in the Christian economy is there is a lack of gospel clarity. Quite simply put, quite simply put, counterfeits confuse us. When we come into contact with counterfeits, they confuse us and they cause us to doubt the real gospel. They, ca- they cause us to be less than clear on the real gospel. And so the first result is there a lack of gospel clarity. Let's read our passage together and then we're going to have an exercise. Actually, no, we're not going to read our passage so you can put it away. Before we do that, we're going to have a little exercise. As I mentioned, it's text message Sunday. And so uh, right now is the time. Get in your purses, in your pockets, grab your cell phones, jot down this number. I would like for you to interact with this question. And so my cell phone number is, are you ready? You probably know it, 815-993-4545, 993-4545. I've got 
uh, this going on. Thanks, Glenn. We'll have that on in just a second. I've got that going on. Uh, secondly, Gary, if you could do this for me at this point, if you could grab those pieces of paper, we're going to distribute that. And so while Gary's doing that, we'll have some music going on. Once we get all settled, I'll pose the question to you, and uh, we'll go from there. So go ahead, Gary. Thanks. So as we wrap that up, we'll get those out. Grab a pen, grab a pencil, get your texting fingers ready. ready? All right. Let's cut the music die down. Uh, so by the way, Grace Leadership, my text messaging bill might be a little higher this month. So hey, you know, just uh, be aware of that. So here's the question that I want to pose to you. Uh, number one, the first point I want to make is the first wreckage of counterfeit gospels is that it causes a lack of clarity on the gospel. That is, what is the gospel? And so my simple question that I want to pose to you uh, is, is this. What is the gospel? Or what is the good news of Christianity? How would you define it? What would you say if you encounter somebody on the street and they say, hey, I've heard this term gospel, or what is Christianity all about? What's the good news there? How would you respond? You don't have to respond if you don't want to. If you uh, feel like you don't know, then don't write anything. But if you want to respond, now's the time. We're going to throw some music on. You can text me. You can write me. And then we will see, uh, we will see, get an initial gauge on our gospel clarity, on the gospel clarity that we have. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to flesh out the best that I can, by God's grace, what exactly the gospel is. So go ahead.
guys about one more minute. call it good if you're texting continue to text if you have uh, a written go ahead and hand it to Gary and then Gary will bring it uh, on up and then we'll start in in just a quick minute got all the answers in. So uh, let's just read through these. As always, we can't get to all of them because there are too many people, but uh, let's just start with the text messages. We'll read a few. Uh, Number one, Jesus died for our sins. Uh, Number two, Jesus dies for our sins. Uh, Number three, Jesus died for my sins and offers salvation and a life of purpose and meaning. Number four, uh, Christ died for our sins and our place to restore our relationship with God. The good news is that we are saved by Jesus. Making Jesus your Lord and Savior, he paid the price for us to have eternal life. Jesus is the good news. Emphasis on Jesus, I think. (laughs) Christ died for our sins in our place and offers us the free gift of salvation through faith in him by his wonderful grace. Okay, get a few more here, just in order. Uh, Jesus died for us so that we will not be punished for our sins. Uh, God's grace towards us, making it possible to have a relationship with him. Okay, let's get into some of these. I'm just going to kind of pick at random here. Um, The gospel and being a Christian means Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. It's by grace we are saved and faith, not by works. It's a gift. And being a Christian means to live by faith and grace uh, on on, uh, sorry, on who we believe is our Father and Lord and tell others and show others in a hope they will believe also and be saved. All right. Just gonna pick out some random ones here. The gospel is that God's Son um, came and died on the cross to give us eternal life through and by faith. Picking out of the fishbowl here. Jesus Christ and him crucified for our imputed righteousness. Okay, so whoever used the word imputed righteousness, high five right now. Boom. I love that. Sorry, I'm a theological dork, so forgive me. Uh, uh, It tells us what God wants from us. It shows us the love he has for us. Uh, Just a few more here. Um, Believe in Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. All right, let's get a few more texts here and we'll uh, consider it good. Salvation, God's indescribable love for us through Christ's death and resurrection. God becoming human and entering the world as a baby, taking on the sin of the world and sacrificing his life for all humanity, giving us 
giving us the hope of eternal life in exchange for belief in him. We're going to cut it off right there. Uh, I anxiously look forward to reading all of your texts and reading all of these. Uh, The point that I want to make, and I hope this is a fruitful exercise for you, because this is kind of the litmus test, you know what I mean? Like, if you can articulate the basics of the gospel, then you have a pretty good gospel clarity. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty happy at this point with our gospel clarity. And the point that I want to make is that when counterfeits enter in to our understanding of what the gospel is, essentially what we have by way of illustration is uh, this term gospel or good news becomes what I would call a junk drawer term. Now let me ask you a question. Any of you have a junk drawer in your house? That is a drawer that you just put whatever in. Okay, so, some of you, you're, you're, uh, those of you who are not afraid to admit it, um, growing up we had what we called the junk drawer. And as you walked into our kitchen, we had kind of like a little nook, and it was a desk, and it had a couple drawers. And both of those, but really one, was what we considered to be the junk drawer. Now, the idea with uh, the junk drawer is that anything goes, right? That's why it's a junk drawer. Anything goes. You put anything you want in there. Uh, Now, that's how we saw it growing up as kids, but my mom, guess what? She didn't exactly see it that way. She uh, considered that there were certain things that should go in the junk junk drawer and certain things that should be excluded from the junk drawer. Now, as far as I'm concerned, a junk drawer is a junk drawer. But for her, only certain things went in the junk drawer. And she would get pretty upset when she would go looking for something in the junk drawer that she anticipated would be there. And guess what? It wasn't there. Or there was something there that shouldn't be. And so about maybe... I don't know, maybe once a month or so, we would have a junk drawer cleaning day. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you go through your junk drawer and you say, yep, that's supposed to be in there. Nope, that's not supposed to be in there. Yep, that's supposed to be in there. Nope, that's not supposed to be in there. My fear is that because of the counterfeit gospels, it has brought a lack of gospel clarity. And what we have oftentimes in the greater evangelical world is that we use the word gospel as a junk drawer term. We can put anything we want into it, and we can put anything or take anything we want out of it. The simple point I want us to see this morning is that while counterfeits bring a lack of gospel clarity, the true gospel brings a gospel clarity, and that is we can know what the gospel is, and we can know what the good news is with clarity, and that's because the New Testament spells it out. In several passages, it clearly defines what goes in the drawer of the gospel and what should be excluded from the drawer of the gospel, but the clearest articulation, and we will uh, be on this particular passage for about three weeks, and you're like, oh, one passage for three weeks? Yes. Well, kind of. We'll, we'll see other passages. But in 1 Corinthians 15, turn with me there. Uh, the simple point I want to make this morning is this. The gospel can be known with clarity. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15 primarily. So let's read this together, verses 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. There it is. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you would have believed in vain. And then he goes on to define it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And he goes on to spell it out. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, 
and then to the 12, uh, and then he goes on to talk about how Jesus appeared to numerous other people in verses 6 through 11. The point that I simply want to make is that we can know what the gospel is with clarity. A couple points. Number one, gospel clarity Gospel clarity is necessary. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. Gospel clarity is necessary. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to, what does your translation say? say just shout it out. I want to remind. Okay, any, anything else? Any other translations that differ? No. no? <laughs> thanks. Oh, no. Okay, no. As in no. K-N-O-W. Thanks. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know. You know what? Uh, this can be, and all, those are all good translations. Uh, some translations, such as the Net Bible uh, from Dallas Seminary, says, I want to make it clear. It says, I want to make it clear. And then the Holdman Standard Bible also says, clarify. I'm not going to argue this point too much, but what I think Paul is saying is that gospel clarity not only can be clear, but it's necessary. He essentially says, I want to make it clear to you what the gospel is. Now, these are people who had been saved, who had believed the gospel. These were Christians, but Paul still thinks it's necessary to say, I want to remind you, or I want to make it, I want to make it more clear to you what the gospel is. And that's my prayer for this series, is I want to make it as crystal clear to you what the gospel, what the good news is and the implications of that. Secondly, not only is gospel clarity necessary, but gospel clarity is essential. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, for, I, for what I received, that is from Jesus himself, for what I received I passed on to you as of what, church? What does it say? Thank you, Jay. As of first importance. As of first importance. He doesn't say as of second importance, as of uh, something that's significant but not very significant. What Paul says here is, I'm going to communicate to you the content of the good news of Christianity, and there's nothing that's more important. It is of first importance. It is essential. If we lose the true message of the gospel, we lose Christianity is what Paul is trying to say. And so what I hope, by way of illustration, is that we have clarity on the gospel and not muddiness. Um, as you can see, I've been drinking out of this cup. That's because this is clear water, uh, as clear as it can get from the faucet here at Grace Bible Church. And so this is clear water that I've been drinking, and, and you'll notice, um, you can see right through it. It's, it's clear, it's understandable. Um, take a look, a hard look. I hope it, you can see this. Which is more clear, church? The one on the left. Which is less clear? This one. Uh, where do you think I got this from? Any guesses? The lake. I say I did, but an Abbey Petri, uh, Petri did. So thanks, guys. Um, this is lake water, and this is, uh, this is clear water. The simple point that I want to make is that oftentimes, counterfeits leave us with this kind of a gospel, with a muddied, less than clear, less than desirable gospel. Uh, but the true gospel leaves us with water like this that we can drink from and receive, and it's good. And so by application, I want to challenge you to begin to think about your gospel clarity. How clear is your gospel? If somebody comes up to you and wants to know about Christianity, what it is that you believe, what would you say? And then secondarily, what would you say to this question? Somebody asks you, what's the most important thing about your faith? I mean, if I had to know one thing about your faith, what is it? 
Would you say what Paul has just said in 1 Corinthians 1 through 5? He says, this is the most important thing about Christianity. Or would you go elsewhere? Would you say, well, it's about church attendance. It's about being good. It's about becoming a member. It's about this or that or the other. What would you say if somebody said, what's most significant about your faith? Would you say what Paul said? Because it has to be clear and it has to be essential. So how is your gospel clarity? How's your gospel clarity? We will discover that in the weeks to come. So number one, the first wreckage of counterfeits is that it creates a lack of gospel clarity. Number two, not only does it create a lack of gospel clarity, it creates a lack of gospel confidence. A lack of gospel confidence. That is not only do counterfeits muddy the water, not only do they make the true gospel less than clear, what they do is they cause us to lose confidence and faith in the power of the good news to transform a person and bring salvation. Uh, Trevin Wax, in his book, uh, which I named the series after, Counterfeit Gospel, says this. It says this. We have lost our faith in the power of the gospel to change a life. We lack confidence in ourself and in the gospel. But, and here's the point I want you to hear, but the power of the gospel is not in us or our presentation. The gospel itself is powerful and deserves our full confidence. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 1, verses 15 through 16. So turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of Romans. So head backwards, just one book, and you'll find the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, the very beginning, Paul is articulating uh, the whole book of Romans is a theological exposition that is very practical about what the gospel is. In the beginning of this chapter, he defines the gospel, uh, and then he says, I love the gospel, I'm passionate about the gospel. In verse 15, He voices his eagerness, his anticipation to preach the gospel. So let's read verses 15 and 16 together, Romans chapter 1. Verses 15 and 16, as I find it. Verse 15, that is why, let's just start on verse 14. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So he feels this obligation to preach the gospel to everyone. Verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Notice the word eager, to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? He tells us, for I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so the simple point that I want to make is that the good news brings us a confidence in the gospel. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think it was, if you know anything about Paul, why do you think it was that he was so eager to preach the gospel? Why do you think it was that he could say, rightly so, that he had no fear or he was unashamed of the gospel? Why do you think he had such a deep and profound burden to share the gospel? Well, he tells us in verse 16, he tells us that the answer is because we can have confidence in the gospel. He says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of it because it's God's power. It has inherent power. And this is the simple point I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. The gospel has inherent in and of itself power to bring salvation to anyone who believes. The Greek word their power is dunamis, if you will. And what does that sound like? What English word? Dunamis? Dynamite, thank you, excellent. It sounds like dynamite, and that's where we get our word dynamite from because it is talking about an internal and inherent 
power, a spiritual power. Now think about the illustration here. Dynamite has inherent power to destroy, does it not? We have a stick of dynamite in here and kind of tightly wound up in that little bundle is a devastating power, is it not? But it has to be lit, right? It has to be sparked. It has to, you know, and then boom, that's what happens. The same is true of the gospel. It has an inherent power not to destroy, but to save. It has an inherent power not to wreck people's lives, but to change and to save people's lives. And all it is is waiting for the Holy Spirit to prick somebody, to convict somebody, and then the the spark of faith starts it. And then, And then, boom, it brings salvation. Thanks, Steve. That's how I did it. It brings salvation. It brings salvation to people who believe in it. And so let me ask this question. And this is where it gets a little more personal. Why are we not eager to preach the gospel? Why is it that I hesitate to share the gospel in conversations with people? Why is it that so often I and you are uh, maybe ashamed of the gospel, unlike Paul? Uh, probably numerous reasons, but I would suggest to you one reason is that we have lost our confidence in the power of the gospel to change a life. And I think we've come too uh, often to depend on things like gospel presentations. We depend on, as a church, on the preacher to share the gospel, on the music to be good, on our ministries to be excellent, on all of these things. And those are not wrong. That's good. We want all of those things. But let me ask you this question. If we had an excellent preacher— better than me. (laughs) If we had music that was better than we do, and I think it's good. If we had children's ministries that were just up here, better than we could expect. If we had all of these things, and yet not in any of those, the gospel was shared. Not in any of those, the good news of Jesus Christ that we have seen was not a part of that. What we might have is a a rather large church, but we would not have salvation. (laughs) We wouldn't have people's lives being changed because Paul says inherently in the good news of Jesus Christ is the power to change a life. Uh, So often I think we have this mindset, if we just have a good preacher, if we just have good music, if we just have good ministries, if we just have this, that, and the other, and all of those things are good, don't get me wrong. Those are significant and important. But what are we trusting in to bring salvation to people? What is it that we are trusting to bring new life Those are certainly avenues. Those are certainly packages that carry the good news of Jesus Christ, but they in and of themselves lack any kind of inherent power. I think of it this way. Um, So this is probably a question more for guys, but how many of you would consider yourself not very good at wrapping Christmas presents? I will raise my hand because I stink. All the men, raise your hands. Yes, okay. Um, How many of you have been, uh, have attempted to wrap a Christmas present, and it, it hasn't gone very well. That's happened to me uh, quite a bit of times. And so usually the way it goes in my household is my wife wraps all of our Christmas presents because she wants them to actually be received by someone. She's like, we can't give that to someone. It's all ragged and it's horrible. I'm just not very good with my hands. And so I wrap the present the best I can, and I'm like, how do you do the edges? Oh, that looks horrible. Oh, it just looks miserable. And, and, and those times when I wrap this present that we're going to give someone— the exterior is not very good. It's not very presentable. It's not, it's not perfect. And, you know, Shelly may say, oh, that's not real good, but, you know, we'll, we'll do it, you know. And she knows that she can do a better job than I can. And, and sometimes what I may say to her is, you know what? It's what's on the inside that counts. It's what's on the inside that counts. To me, maybe that's a cop-out, but they can get over the packaging that's not exactly great when they get to the gift 
and it's a great gift. It's what's on the inside that counts, and I think that is what Paul is saying. It's true for the gospel. It's not the program, the strategy, the presentation, the knowledge of the presenter. It's what's on the inside that counts. So what's on the inside that counts. So in conclusion this morning, let's return to our opening scenario. There are terrorists in our nation. They have flooded the economy with counterfeit bills, and there has become a lack of clarity on what is real and what is not. There's a lack of confidence. We're not spending our money. We don't know if if what we have in our wallets and in our bank has inherent buying power. And so what would we do? Let's put ourselves in that scenario. What would we do? How would we fix this problem? Well, number one, we would restore clarity. We would provide training for people so that they could tell the difference between a real bill and a counterfeit bill, would we not? Secondly, we would restore confidence in the buying power of that currency. If we know what the real gospel is, then we have confidence that it will do what we intend it to do, which is have purchasing power. And so throughout this series, this is my goal. What I hope to do is restore gospel clarity to all of us by showing us, by defining us, what the real gospel is. Secondly, I hope we can restore gospel confidence as Paul had gospel confidence so that we believe and know what the real thing is and then we can go forth because it's like a stick of dynamite. We give it to somebody, the Holy Spirit moves and causes them to believe and boom, there will be salvation and new life. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a wonderful morning. Thanks that we can come together as your redeemed people by the blood and through the cross of Jesus. Thank you that you save us simply by grace, that you require a nothing but simple faith in the finished work of your son. Thank you that although we are fallen and sinful and cannot ever be with you, you have made a way for us to know you, for us to experience your power, for us to experience your presence, and uh, for us to overcome sin in our lives and the life beyond. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for his life in our place, perfectly obeying the law. Thank you for his death uh, for our sins, perfectly taking the wrath and the hell of a holy God. Thank you that he defeated that and overcame that and has restored us, given us new life, caused us to be regenerated and born again, given us new hearts, new inclinations, new love, and a new power to then live in freedom from sin and in holiness and in obedience to you for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.